Scroll through Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and you can get a good sense of popular topics, as well as how people feel about them. If you're a litigator who uses social media, you might have success suggesting how people should feel about your client's position. And you can use a platform to gather more support. I'm Stephanie Francis Ford, and on today's Asked and Answered, I'm discussing how litigators can do that with Anthony Johnson, an Arkansas plaintiff personal injury lawyer who used to own a search engine optimization and marketing company. Anthony, what do lawyers need to think about before using social media to share a client's story? There's probably a few things that I think you need to consider. You know, first of all, one, I mean, it depends on this if you're sharing the story either during or pre-litigation, kind of there's one, you know, issue that's going on with that. If it's pre-litigation, of course, you know, anything you put out into the, you know, the internet atmosphere, the, the blogosphere or the social media, you know, you got to think about that it might be discoverable in a trial. There's a lot of clients out there, just depending on who who you're dealing with, that uh, either do or don't want that story told. So, you know, making sure that you have the right client um, that is behind you on the story, also one that, um doesn't take the story, I guess, uh, further than you intended it to go because there's a lot of trouble in controlling the breadth of of anything you put in the Internet. Do you think you should, I guess for lack of a better term, maybe workshop your tweets or posts or whatever with other lawyers who were involved in the case before you put something up? Because I think what you said about, you know, the issue of it perhaps is being discoverable because it may not occur to you right away. Yeah, definitely if you have any um, kind of co-counsel or joint defendants or, or joint plaintiffs or whatnot in the litigation, we always run it by them and kind of get a do a little workshop on whether or not the strategy of of using social media or not um, is a viable one, I guess, pre-trial. You know, post-trial, I think it's less of an issue, you know, of course, because we've already done everything and, and we have less of a, a worry there and, and really they have less of a concern. It's really more about post-trial. It's about just telling a story and educating the public on it and what happened, and, and it's really about your client's feelings at that point. But, yeah, pre-trial, um, you definitely have to consider your counsel, and I think it's a good idea to workshop that. Um, you know, for instance, one of our, our first big litigations was uh, is still going on, but it's the uh, the oil spill, that Exxon oil spill down in Mayflower. And um, there was a lot of traction on social media, um, especially if one of our clients started a community page and has, you know, 5,500 likes right now and a lot of community involvement and commenting and, um, we represent the person that uh, that kind of curate all that content. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's something that, you know, we have to be in on every interview. We have to, you know, continually talk to her, talk to our co-counsel about, just make sure that nothing's going on there that might jeopardize uh, what we're doing from a litigation standpoint. Well, do you think then perhaps the most genuine way to get your story, client's story out is to let them tell it themselves? Because on the one hand, it seems like, yes, but on the other hand, that could backfire, too, because your client probably isn't a lawyer. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, anytime you can get a first-person perspective on a story, you've got to have that. But when it comes to um, a client and litigation, you've got to have a filter on that that uh, client's perspective. And so we try, and, and of course, this is an impossible guarantee, but you know, anytime we kind of allow one of our clients to continue to tell that story, um, we try to have an attorney that, that supervises that content, either... Uh, after the fact or, or anytime it's a, a larger piece or an in interview or something like that, we try to actually be on the call and actually, you know, have uh, um, oversight on, on what kind of questions and things happen just in case. I mean, not that, you know, we don't want to prohibit uh, the story from getting told, but 
you know, just in case there's some legal implications on some question or some part of that story. Do you think that lawyers, is it a good idea for them to handle social media themselves? Or perhaps is it better for them to hire someone who only does social media and have them manage it, particularly on a larger case? I think that we always have, and I think that it should be this way, you you got to have an attorney manage the social media perspective. Um, now, that being said, you can have people assist you on kind of rolling it out, but I would always have an, at least one attorney that has kind of final say, oversight on what goes out and, you know, what's going on. Because anyone you hire in the in the, in the search engine or their social media space just isn't going to understand the, you know, the quirks of litigation and what can and can't be said and whether there's, you know, legal ramifications of some minute part of the case that's very important. And so we always have an attorney either that reads every post on, you know, certain community pages or that certain people are putting online, um, or if there's any types of interviews that may be, you know, republished on social media, uh, we always have someone on the phone. So I think the lawyer should definitely, in the end, handle the social media. Um, but if you need some assistance on kind of uh, doing the legwork on getting some of the content or the uh, or the you know, research on the social media, I think that can be assisted by, you know, marketing companies or whatnot. If you see something negative about a case you're involved with on social media, is it sometimes a good idea to comment or is it a matter, is it more an issue of don't engage? <laughs> so it's really funny, you know, me and my law partner, we, we kind of have, we're kind of the yin yang, I guess, to some of these types of, uh, um, arguments because I'm always like you know any any publicity is good publicity kind of thing and so I kind of want to stir the pot and he's kind of very conservative and um, but usually kind of what we agree to and what we think is the best practice is if someone has negative publicity um, if it's pre-litigation I always we always kind of go with don't engage um, you know that's the kind of thing that is it's going to just get traction and it's going to get traction to an issue that's one that we already uh, you know obviously disagree with um, and so we just don't we just don't bother with it if. If it gets traction on its own or gets picked up by the news or something like that, then, yeah, it's time to maybe step in and make a comment. Um, and I'd make it succinct and establish that we disagree and then move on with it. But if it's, if it's post-litigation and if someone's commenting on it and, uh, you know, everything's already kind of said and done, then, yeah, it goes back to, you know, any time we can get traction or get the conversation moving in, in the social sphere, um, it's good to to have that conversation because it makes awareness and maybe some people agree with the negative feedback or maybe some people don't. Um, but either way, it kind of gets the story out there, and the, the key is to get the story told, and, and especially after the fact where it's not going to hurt the case. Um, now, also, one thing we do is on social media, say it's one, if it's a property that we own, we always set comments to be reviewed before published. We, if it's a negative and it's free trial and we don't want to, you know, cause that, uh, that dichotomy of arguing with each other, we just don't allow it to be published on the page. Okay. Say that you share something on social media for your client, which you think is good. And then it backfires and people use your post to ridicule your client and his or her position. Do you have any advice for dealing with that? Um, yeah. So, you know, really the nature of the Internet is that you never know what's going to take off. And sometimes there may be some negative connotation or some, um, you know, meme or something like that that, that spirals out of control where it has a you know, negative outlook on the story you're trying to tell. And so, of course, we try to you know, rebut that negative connotation by all means possible from our own end, but inherently with us and with every law firm, you know, the reach of how much we can actively distribute our content, whether that be through our followers on Facebook, our fans on Facebook, um, our followers on Twitter, um, is just not that far. It's not as far as, you know, some content that goes viral throughout the Internet 
Um, and so really there's nothing, you know, you can do that, that except for take a stance on your own end saying that, you know, that's not what we meant and try to do that. And that's a risk you take. But I think it's a risk we're taking. Usually when there's a sincere story about a person that, you know, matters and that, um, and if you try to take the, the content that way, uh, hopefully it doesn't get picked up like that and just kind of taken into a negative context. But um, that's kind of a risk you take in, in publishing online. We're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsor. When we come back, we'll hear about the number of posts that are appropriate when using social media to share your client's story. This ABA Journal podcast is brought to you by Westlaw Next. Folder sharing on Westlaw Next enables you to tap into previous research across organizational boundaries like never before, saving you time from reinventing the wheel. Learn more at westlawnext.com. So, if you're using social media to get a client's story out, Anthony, how many posts do you think you should do a day? You know, it's it's interesting, you know, kind of, kind of think about that. You know, we, we've been in a lot of discussions about that uh, in the content marketing front. So usually what or we maybe do it's is, a classic answer. It depends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but usually, so the story at a lot of platforms, you can't put a whole story on the platform. So so usually the actual story exists either on your own blog on your website or on a video or on a link to another story, um, and 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 usually you're using social media to, I guess, distribute and, and you know, bring awareness to kind of your your followership and whatnot, and actually link them to maybe a, another third party platform. Um, so that's kind of how we usually do it. We usually have say a, a blog or something like that, um, and, and then it depends on whether you have a kind of teaser story, maybe a three part story on your client, uh, rather than kind of a one one blog type story. Um, but either way, you know, I was just at a, a conference actually on social media and, and content marketing, and it was very interesting because there's a concept called um, comment velocity. And if you want your any type of blog or content with something else about a law firm or litigation uh, to go viral or to get that type of velocity, it, you really have about 24 hours to get traction on it. And so what we say is that you want to post on Facebook about three to seven times and at least three times on the first day. And then you want to put on LinkedIn, I think, is another good platform, especially when you're going to, um, you know, because as lawyers, we have two audiences, and we kind of break it out into this when it comes to a marketing standpoint. Um, we have the consumer audience, which is our clients and our future clients, and then we have the kind of B2B or business-to-business audience, which is other attorneys, because, you know, a lot of our business comes from referral work from other attorneys. And so when you look at it from the B2B perspective, I think it's really important to share your things on something like LinkedIn. Um, I would actually do it more frequently on LinkedIn because when you do your status updates or, or whatnot on LinkedIn, um, just people aren't on there as much. Uh, you know, people are working more. Uh, people don't go there really for their news as much. So you want a lot more frequency. So we say post five to seven times, you know, in your first just one day on LinkedIn just to try to get more coverage um, with your connections there. Um, and that's more of your B2B, you know, hopefully your your lawyer friends and all that are on LinkedIn's social networks. But but you have to do it quickly. And you have to do it throughout the day, and uh, you you know there's a lot of things you can do to try to get other people to pick it up. Um, if you make a comment about a news station that did a quote, or you make a comment about a, uh, a public figure or a thought leader in your industry, uh, we try to make sure to comment that on them on the story because it's more likely uh, you know that they pick it up and retweet it or, or link to it on their Facebook or, or Twitter or whatnot. Um, you know, in the tech industry, they call that ego baiting. You know, where basically you, you say someone's name or you link to someone's name and then. Say hey, check this out. You know, we we use your comment on our blog, and you hope that they tweet on it, and they're they might the you know, news station might have a hundred thousand Twitter followers, whereas a law firm may have ten or zero if they have Twitter. You know, but um, it's always good to try to get other people and use their authority, kind of piggyback on the authority to try to get 
the most breadth and coverage for your story. I wanted to make sure I understand you correctly. You're saying that it might be a good idea to post links on Facebook seven times a day, approximately? Yeah, if you really are wanting to push out one story, I mean, I wouldn't do this with every single, every single story you write, but I mean, if it's something where you, you, know, you, you really want to get this out, um, I would post it from three to seven times, you know, three or four in the first day, different times a day, and then maybe a couple of times, like if it's a Monday, I would definitely do the weekend. You know, social media traction is, is, works really well on the weekend when it comes to consumer audiences. And then LinkedIn, I would, you know, I would, def- I would do even more than Facebook because you just don't have people logging in and checking people's statuses on, on LinkedIn as much. Well, silly question, I guess. But do you ever hear from lawyers if you chat about this? It, maybe there's a fear. Oh, gosh, I don't want to annoy someone with all these posts. <laughs> uh, yeah, we get that a lot. And you know what? In the end, um, the people that are following you on your, you know, Facebook page or whatnot, um, so I don't think that's an issue um, as much as people think it is. But it is a concern, though. But what we do is that each Facebook post we put up, we change the title, we change the, the blurb. And so maybe the first one will say, uh, you know, Julie's story uh, of triumph or something like that, and it has a little description under it. The next one will say, um, you know, check out your local, you know, a, a local story in your, in your neighborhood that, uh my concern, you know, the safety of your children or, you know, something like that. So you change the headlines, you change the description. And unless someone clicks on that same link that links over your blog every single one of seven times, which is something that happens, they think it's different information every time. And so, and then we also do, you know, A-B testing on those headlines accordingly. Okay. Now you mentioned LinkedIn. What are some other uh, platforms you think are great for sharing your client stories? Um, I tell a lot of people that any platform that you have, you know, a followership and an audience that cares about the story is a good platform to publish on because there's a lot of them now. And depending on who you're talking to, they may be real big into Twitter, uh, which is, a, you know, one of the you know, main three or probably Twitter, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn are kind of your your primary ones. But then even if, say, someone's real big on Pinterest or real big on Instagram or, um, or something like that and they already have that audience, you know, anytime you have an audience that believes in you and wants to read about the content you produce, um, I would say those would be good ones to, to push out there. You know, there's always new new forming ones that, that you want to publish on. I mean, you know, YouTube is uh, is another platform. If it's a video-based content, you want to definitely put it on YouTube. It's kind of the, the king of, uh, of video when it comes to that regard. So a lot of avenues that you can go. So with YouTube, which obviously YouTube is incredibly popular, um, at the same time, I think that shooting and editing video that looks professional enough to put up it's hard if you don't know what you're doing. And it's also, it's expensive if you have to hire someone. What do you think about lawyers using YouTube to get their stories out? I mean, is it worth it to hire a videographer? No, I, I think that there's, there's no reason to hire one. I mean, unless you're doing something that is, you know, you're going to run a national advertising or something like that where it's got to look perfect. Uh, if you're doing something for web, especially when it comes to the story, you know, shoot on your iPhone. You know, you don't need a super high-quality video um, you know, beyond that, that's already on on smartphones these days, um, because it'll be too big. If, if you if you shoot it on anything bigger than a, a, a cell phone or whatnot, um, I would definitely get like a tripod or something, so you're not holding something and shaking everywhere. But but I've seen a lot of people do really well on social media um, when it comes to like litigation specific landing pages and whatnot. Well, they'll have information, but the guys that have a couple videos, even poorly shot videos, uh, brings another level of uh, you know personal touch to the. To the page and actually lets people see the attorney and have them talk with their own words and I think uh, there's a lot of value there and so if you don't have the money to, to hire a videographer and all that and it's not something you're going to use for you know some national campaign that's going to be seen by millions of people 
Um, I say just you know do them in house. Uh, there's free software to to cut videos in house. It's real simple to use. Um, and if you don't cut it, just do one shot and do it on YouTube video and maybe put a logo on the front of it. Um, you know, YouTube's the number two search engine in the world after Google. So, so if you uh, not only for the you know search engine rankings and whatnot, videos are great, and I would use YouTube for that. Um, but you know, to, to bring some personality and some interest to, to social media, um, that's just another it's another thing that's more niche and a little more uh, kind of next level than what most people are doing. So it sets you apart. Okay, and you mentioned Instagram, which is also very popular right now. Um, what do you think about these sites? Uh, that they share images instead of words for lawyers because it on the one hand the sites are very popular and they're fun but it also seems that lawyers perhaps are more comfortable storytelling with words rather than images mm -hmm. I think images are are very powerful obviously um, going to, I was reading a, a report on some of the the top ten reasons why content goes viral and why stories can kind of get told and get shared and uh, the number, the two reasons that kind of set up, set apart everything else were one, the headlines, and number two, the story, the picture. And so I had people, you know, that I've spoken to in this industry that, that joke that, you know, with the right headline, the right, and then the right picture, they're like the story doesn't even matter. You know, they said they can get a, a picture and a headline so great that you know they they know it's going to go viral just by that. Um, which of course you need to have the story. That's what counts. But it's just amazing how much it matters. You know, that that few words and then that picture that actually draws people in. And so I think something like Instagram can be used in that manner to get people's attention. But um, in the end, I mean, kind of like what I was saying before, is that, you know, you've got to go to the main main platform. If your law firm doesn't have a Facebook and Twitter page and, and even a LinkedIn page, you got to get that because that's kind of where, you know, the majority of people are. But on these new platforms or on these uh, on these other kind of more niche platforms like Instagram or Vine or, um, you know, Pinterest or whatnot, um, it really goes back to whether you have any traction on the platform. So if you have an Instagram user and you have 10,000 people looking at it, absolutely, you know, put your put your picture up there and and maybe in some way try to get some attention to the story. Um, it's very difficult with a, with pictures only to tell a full story. So um, that's kind of the other difficulty with Instagram is that you uh, you'd have to kind of link off the platform in order to actually tell a story. I mean, unless you're just an artistic savant, which um, there may be some lawyers out there that are like that, you know, these filmmaker type uh, people that can tell the story with eight pictures. That's just not my, not my forte, and I think most lawyers would say it's not theirs. Um, so unless you just have this knack for it and you have this usership, um, it's hard for me to promote going to a platform that um, you might produce something great and that no one will ever see. So I would say choose your platforms based on where your audience is. I see. That's everything I have for you, Anthony. Did you want to add anything else? Um, my only, I guess, advice to most lawyers, because most lawyers out there, from what I've experienced, um, kind of do social media as kind of an after effect because everyone says they have to, and either that or their, their SEO company is kind of requiring it. But um, you gotta just spend some time. I, I tell everyone just to, you know, post, even if it's personal or even if it's, uh, you know, promoting their story within their firm about their attorneys or their staff. I say uh, just get started and have someone that, you know, post every day or post every week on it even. And uh, just think about whenever your clients, are telling their stories through trial or afterwards, whether they're the kind of person that, that wants to tell the story to the world. And when you have that type of person, uh, it's a great type of client to, um, you know, dig into the facts and actually tell that story because it helps both the client, you know, the general public and your, in the end, your law firm. All right, Anthony, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it.
And thank you for joining us. I'm Stephanie Francis-Ward, and please join us next time for the next episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered. This ABA Journal podcast is brought to you by Westlaw Next, powered by WestSearch, the world's most advanced legal search engine delivering the best results in seconds. Learn more at westlawnext.com.